tuned into the Bell News Podcast. Hey guys, quick programming note. It's the holidays. We have a lot of people out of the office. So for the next two weeks, Bell News Podcast, we're going to have some longer interviews with notable people from the cycling world uh, instead of our usual banter. We will be back after the Thanksgiving holiday, just fat and happy, ready to chat about all things cycling. Uh, so this week, Spencer, who do we have? Who's our interview? Yeah, Fred, I caught up with cyclocross legend Tim Johnson at the Austrails Off-Road Mountain Bike Race in Arkansas back in October. And uh, this season for cyclocross, I feel like it's been a little, a little different given that last year we had the U.S. Cup CX Series. This year, that went away. So it feels like the state of American cyclocross maybe in a little bit of flux. It's a little hard to tell, you know, where the top riders are going to be racing any given weekend. And uh, it just got us wondering sort of what the state of American cyclocross is right now. So I talked with Tim for a little while about this, and he has a great perspective on it since he, uh, of course, came up racing cross long, long ago, back in the Supercross days, and went through the whole era of USGP racing, which was a huge huge boost for interest and awareness of cyclocross. And uh, now here we are today. So Tim has some great insight on that. And uh, let's uh, get right into it. All right, here with Tim Johnson. Tim, it's cross season. Cross is here. Cross is here. It's been here. It's been coming for a while. And now it's finally uh, every single weekend. Yes. Uh, You were out at the World Cups announcing on the on the stream right i think you were on so the i just announced the iowa world cup yeah but i was in madison at the waterloo world cup just kind of uh i was taking part of the legends races yeah i saw friday that and saturday night yeah so they were they were really different it was uh the friday night race was like me begging sven to slow down because he's still really fit he still knows what he's doing and he's going really fast and everyone wants to try and beat him and especially the cow and then you know, I, I think I was successful for the most part, especially stopping in the secret bar for a lap, taking that off, and then coming to the finish. I watched the big sprint and uh, saw him finally beat the cow. And then Saturday night was Jens as the legend, and it was a lot of begging riders to slow down so that Jens would have a chance of riding at the front. But both times, uh, Emily Batty was the joker, and she I don't really know if she should be invited back. How is she a legend? She's still a pro racer. She was like a week off of uh, mountain bike worlds. Well, yeah, she, so she's basically on peak form. Yeah, and we're talking about peak we're talking about Sven Nice, obviously Sven Nice, and um, and uh, of course Jens Vogt. Just mm-hmm. just just in case it wasn't just entirely clear. Yeah. Um, okay, so those are you know the two U.S. World Cups. It comes early in the season, so it's kind of an interesting time. Because, uh, you know, well, people are really excited about cross in the early part of the season. But then what happens after that here in the U.S.? Well, it seems like everyone gets excited about cross the second that the Tour de France crosses the finish line on the Champs-Élysées. So yeah. that's third week in July. Um, you know, race wraps up and people start scrambling for bikes and wheels and tires. And, you know, all of, all of the thoughts are to, to fall. And then with these two World Cups being so early... Um, it's definitely an American opening and, and it has been really successful for an event like Jingle Cross to move from November to, you know, September. Uh, the Waterloo World Cup started off as, as one of our USGPs and, uh, and it's really found its, its home and it's found its momentum with the World Cup. So 
it definitely kicks off, you know, the global cyclocross scene. But for the American scene, I think that we've already had races since like mid-August, mm-hmm. going into September. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is sort of, you know, you have this really exciting start to the season. And then at least from my perspective, it feels like after that, it's a little hard to follow sort of a um, narrative of the cross season in the U.S. after that point, because it's yeah. a little unclear what, uh, you know, what are the big races? You know, there's not a series any longer. Well, yeah, without a series, it's a little bit tougher to follow, but there's a C1 in Baltimore today, Charm City, um, World Cup winner, Katie Keo, um, you know, coming off of, of the big win in Iowa, going to a C1 in Baltimore, it's, it is a little bit different because it's slightly lower than a World Cup, but it's still a big race and it's still against some of the best competition and, and Ellen Noble wins um, ahead of her. Um, and I need to look back at my notes to see who got second place, but I know Katie got third. Uh, that was earlier today. I just saw it, oh, on, today. Saw it on Twitter. But okay. you're right. It's, it, is harder, it is harder to follow without that real thing that carries the thread through the season. Mm-hmm. With that in mind... Like, what's your kind of take on the health of cyclocross in the U.S. right now? I mean, is it like a low-grade fever, or is it like right on 98 degrees? Is it, what, what do you think? I don't think it's a fever. I think that it's like, um, it's like figuring out that you've got a huge group of people that love to do it, and how to keep them coming back over and over again. So... I don't know the numbers specifically, but as part of my new position at USC Cycling, I get a chance to to get a little bit of a look under the hood and to see what the membership numbers are like. And Cyclocross had, had been on a huge growth curve for a long time, and it's definitely plateaued, but it, it's certainly not decreasing. And it's, and it's not like people are leaving Cyclocross. We've got an industry now that supports it. We've got a category that supports it. And that has really given rise to what gravel is. And so I think that to look at a slice of cycling as cyclocross and to figure out if it's healthy or not, it's definitely healthy, um, but is it continuing to be a growth um, curve or not? And it's not like it's a public company. We don't need to continue to show growth. It's like you've got a huge backbone of the sport that's now taken you know, a huge position in the upcoming discipline of gravel, but it's also helping to kind of stabilize what mountain biking is and road racing is, is really a different world. I don't know exactly what those numbers are like, but I know from my perspective, I don't ride my road bike nearly as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get back to that for a sec, but first I want to kind of challenge that notion that cyclocross is feeding gravel interest. What are you basing that on? I don't necessarily think that I feel that way about it. Really? No, I don't know. I mean, it's the people that I know that, are getting into gravel um, either come from road racing or they come from road racing and cyclocross. Mm-hmm. And so the people that I see at a gravel event like I do in New England or if I go somewhere else in the country, there are some familiar faces from cyclocross. And I think it's like half the people there kind of look at gravel events as like, oh, this will be fun. I can like try out my bike, maybe it's a new bike, maybe it's some different material, whatever the thing is. And it's a nice, like, it fits in well with the upcoming cross season. Okay. I, I guess maybe it's like a regional thing where at least in my mind, from my experience, like Midwestern gravel is kind of its own beast. You know, your Dirty sure, Kansas, yeah. your Land Run 100, um, 
you know, I, I got the, the uh, you know, uh, Barrier Bay, those type of races. To me, those kind of live in their own microcosm, and I feel like they have less of a relationship with the world of cyclocross racing. There's obviously going to be some crossover, but um, yeah, I feel like I guess I could see that as as far as like you, know, you and I did the um, uh, did the did the gravel race in Vermont earlier Vermont this year, Overland. the Vermont Overland, mm-hmm. and. For sure, that felt like a New England cross scene to a certain extent. So I could see yeah. that. I, th- I guess it's somewhat of a regional thing. Now, what I wanted to get, what I wanted to get back to was you saying that we need to find a way to keep people engaged and excited about cyclocross. Maybe not not necessarily growing it like it did in the USGP days, but but okay. So what does that mean? What is that? How how do you how do you keep a, a an average Cat Four Cat Three cross racer yeah. excited to come out year in and year out? Yeah. Well, it's like um, it's like giving someone a reason to say that October, the third week in October, I'm going to go to Gloucester. Like that has been done for now 20 years. Like it really has been a, a date that people know they're going to go do. What's Gloucester? Gloucester being <laughs> one of the best uh, races. Just kidding you. Just but kidding. you know, I think that it's love it, you, New England people. It, you know, keep it's listening. interesting to look at what kind of race Gloucester actually is. Yeah. So Gloucester, when I started, was more of like a race, more of a competition. It was who can go the fastest, who can win the race, and as part of that that buildup. Um, I think it really forced the organizers, Paul Boudreau and the crew at ECV, like to look at what was really the driver of a good day at Gloucester, a good weekend at Gloucester. And it wasn't just C1, best pros, best prize money, best Euro guy that can show up. Like that, that recipe for them, they learned over time was not the thing that made people continue to come back to Gloucester. So Gloucester is not a C1. It's not a huge prize list. It is just a great time on a bike for a lot of people that love to see their friends. So it's, it's totally community-based. And I think that is the thing that has really helped them become the event that they are. And so whether or not a, an event is at that position or not, or if regionally su- it's supported by the community, it's really up to them to figure it out. But I think that that's a great example of a race or a race event that takes that competition and kind of looks beyond it and, and figures out why people are really coming. Do you feel that if it's always the same venues every year for cyclocross, that there will be attrition of interest? Mm-hmm. For sure. Everyone wants to feel like they're doing something a little bit new, a little bit fun. I think one of the things that I've often thought about cyclocross is that everyone who gets into it feels like they're the ones that have discovered it. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I started racing cross and it's so fun. And I want to tell all my friends about it and I want to make them feel bad about not being there. Like <laughs> that, that's you know, traditionally how people get into cross or how people attach themselves to it. And it's also one of the best parts about cross. And so if you do change venues, if you change format, um, you know, like the night weasels is like a midweek cross race that was put in the middle of Providence and Gloucester. Providence is no longer there. Um, Gloucester has moved completely off of that date. Now night weasels is on a Wednesday night in the middle of nowhere. Um, New England, right? And it's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, 30 minutes outside of Boston at a now very small ski area. It's basically like a sledding hill. Mm. Um, but they they made a really good uh, event because it's all about people having fun on their bikes. It's not just about the racing. It's about the whole all of the things that kind of go along with that. 
yeah, I, I mean, I always see that blowing up my Twitter whenever, like that week. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, you have to, yeah. New England tech cross people get really excited about but that. But there one. are events like that all over the country. And if you really look at the success of why people will continue to go to an event, it is because there is a, a ratio of these are the new things that you might expect, but these are the things that you've come to trust. And it comes together and to have events that are more than a decade old nowadays, that's really signifies that they were starting to get big when cyclocross was in this huge growth curve. And now they're the ones that are still there. And, and it's not just a New England thing. It's, it's Pacific Northwest. You know, Boulder's kind of struggled with that, but I think that that goes down to a it's few definitely struggle with different that, I reasons. Feel. Yeah, yeah, like U.S. Open is not the same event that it once was. No. But and it doesn't help that it's scheduled against, uh, I think, Gloucester or another maybe. major, a major, maybe. major UCI cross yeah. race on the East Coast. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I mean, personally, the 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 USA Cycling Pro CX calendar is just so so big. It just includes all the UCI races, and you end up with that type of situation where they're scheduled yeah. against each other, and it's. I, I think it's unfortunate. The the Pro CX originally was designed just to literally pull the events together and identify them. And right. UCI C1, C2, like who really cares if you're not going for, for UCI points, but yet does it really signify an event being better than another? Um, and so I think that that evolution of the Pro CX hasn't necessarily happened as fast as, as people really want to, to see. Um, but I don't see that it being a huge problem. We're still talking about events that have a thousand people on a on a race day, or a thousand people registered for an event. And that, if you look at gravel, it's like if you hit a thousand, you hit seven fifty. You've got a great event in your hands, and that's going to be there for a long time. Um, road races, they they don't have seven hundred fifty people. They don't have a thousand people at them. Yeah, and that's a whole whole another podcast. It's a whole another ball of wax. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know the wax how, to, how to start with that one. Um, Speaking a little more specifically, you were there, you saw Katie Keogh win her first World Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, you were teammates with her, right? Yeah. In, in the very uh, sort of beginning of her career, the tail mm-hmm. end of yours. Tell me about Katie Keogh. Um, I, it's, my relationship with Katie is really pretty special because um, we went to a cross race in Toronto years and years and years ago. One of the UCI races up there and had seen her race there and then kind of saw her again at another event later that year and spring of 2010 it was like hey you know i think we're going to have enough money in the budget for another rider like who who should we get who's going to be who's going to be someone that we can kind of get behind and help support them and see where they go and so my phone call to katie then antino was really funny it was like hey katie how's it going this is tim and she's you know as as silent as she is and nowadays it was even worse than yeah yeah and uh and so you know we asked her to come ride with us and and she has only done amazing things ever since then and she and you get all the credit basically yeah no zero <laughs> she is such a hard worker she was going to school she graduated early with honors from marion like she was racing internationally racing domestically um you know she has she has gotten all of all of this success that she's had because she works her ass off. And so watching that race unfold, seeing her go into the lead, seeing Voss crash behind her because she can't do the same things that little Katie's doing. Like 
I was losing my mind in the booth. And mm. I'm trying to be yeah. I'm trying to be neutral. I'm trying to watch and and talk to the pictures that are happening in front of me. I know how amazing Marianne Voss is. I know what she can do when she's at her best. Like I know what she can do when she's at her worst. Um, and she's like in pretty good form oh, right now too. It's not like yeah. she's just showing up and like hanging no. out at these races. Waterloo, like Ellen put her to the to the edge a couple times, and then she yeah. still laid down a classic Marianne Voss. Like I am going to beat you now. Yeah, I mean sidebar, Marianne yeah. Voss, my pick to win World Cup and World Championships this year. I mean, oh, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, Katie Antonov. I mean, like to me, when I when I was watching that stream, listening to just your insightful commentary, Tim, <laughs> I um, I was just struck by why are you uh, shaking your head no when you say that. <laughs> let the record show I was not shaking my head no. I I, I was just struck by her um, her composure. It's it's just such a challenging thing to race a race that's as muddy and slippery as that, and to be really consistent every lap and to build on her lead in those final few laps. I mean, is that, uh, how much of that's mental toughness for her? How much of that's um, just practice year in, year out and just the you know, pure she, skill and talent? Yeah, so we we were teammates together with Christian Oila, who is a Swiss guy, uh, Swiss national champion, many times over. Uh, he did his final year with us before he retired. And so when we would go to World Cups in Europe, um, he would help us sometimes and, and be at the races. And, and I remember him telling me, hey, like Katie needs to really work on her technical skills. For her to be the best, she really needs to buff up on that and make sure that she's got that when she needs it. And since then, she has done that. She has gone mountain biking. She's, she's worked on her, on her skills with her cross bike. Her husband, Luke, is a, is a great rider and is like willing to help at a drop of a hat. Like huge, huge resource for her. But... When she's going in these tough conditions like she did in uh, Namor, um, you know, she was on the podium in um, uh, the other World Cup. Why am I forgetting? The Last name? year, right? Last year. Yeah. I... Uh, sloppy, really tough stuff. Sidebar, Tim and I uh, <laughs> raced 50 miles on yeah. a mountain bike today. Thank you for mentioning the, that. At uh, the Trails Off-Road here in Bentonville, Arkansas. So that's why we're maybe not remembering all of our facts. So apologies there. Yes, thank you. Sorry, Katie. Um, but, but yes, she's been on a World Cup podium. She knows how to get on a World Cup podium. A few times, yeah. yes. So blazing fast in, in uh, Iowa a couple years ago. Right, to in dry crazy, conditions. Dry conditions to crazy, muddy, uh, to... Versatile. To what happened in Iowa, which was a downpour in lap one. Or sorry, just before the start of the race, which made the course super slick. And so I think that her poise is due to um, being challenged. Like, the tougher it is the more focused she is and the less likelihood that she's going to be like, I'm not sure if I can do this. It's like checking boxes, corner by corner by corner, line by line by line. And she is literally handing in her thesis early. Like, you know, she is doing all of the things that she does in real life on her bike. And she is just so happy in, in that little bubble. Um, and that's, as an athlete, you want to be there. Like whatever gets you there is the thing that you kind of need to be able to access. You know, like what what makes you your best, what puts you in the zone. And I think for Katie, she's really maturing into this position where she can do that. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way. Mm -hmm. And and also, I mean, just in general, it was really cool to see Iowa City be such a difficult race, such a European style race, and. Um, <laughs> You know, it was. I thought it was really interesting because Wout Van Aert had that 
column online, I don't know if you saw it a while, uh, like the week after it, where he was trying to sort of address critiques, I guess, from, I, I guess, from Belgian cyclocross racers about not, having not, to travel to Europe. Not Belgian cyclocross racers, from Paul Herrigers. Herrigers, former world champion, okay. works, works in commentary, um, is a huge person within the sport of cyclocross. And he was saying that it's not necessary to go to the U.S. And why are we there? And Wout had a really clear and concise rebuttal, which laid out the reasons why and how it's not that hard. Um, and it's true. Like, we've been dealing with this forever. Mm. You know, when we go to Europe five times a year, right? it's a pain in the ass. And, and you definitely feel it in your form. You feel it in your life. Like, you've got schooling maybe you've got family you've got other work you whatever you're trying to do um and for them to come over for like a three-week period it's really not that hard and you know what i i'm the world champion and i'm doing it and i like it like that kind yeah. of response was huge yeah i i agree and it was it was an inter- interesting insight into that that side of it and um I, you know cyclocross it just remains a very provincial sport that's you know so so strictly based in 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 belgium and netherlands well you know who we didn't see there were any of the swiss and and this is actually something that came up when we were racing the usgp um i remember going to a world cup in switzerland with jeremy powers and we decided to come back for the usgp in louisville kentucky the next weekend there was a world cup in tabor Czech Republic that same day and we go to Switzerland we race we're like I don't know both top 20 it's like an okay result it's really not that great we go home and we are a part of this build of USGP we're a part of the sport growing we're a part of like building up this this entire thing in in the states and we feel really good about it and we got a ton of shit for not going to the World Cup and at that time the point system was different and it wasn't incentivized to go to the world cups Mm. and we're sitting there like we're doing something local we're trying to build up the series in the u.s we don't go to the world cup well that's exactly what happened with switzerland the ekz tour which is the new sponsor behind the swiss racing um they've got a great series now and they've got huge success on the mountain bike world cup scene world championships They've got some of those guys going into cyclocross for a few more weeks. They've got these events that are really successful. And they're like, you know what? I'm Simon Zahner, and I'm not going to go to the U.S. to do the World Cups. It's just not worth it for me. Well, you know what? That shows that we are still so decentralized in a, in a place that we need either a much more important World Cup, you know, double the points, double the prize money, double the whatever to make sure that everyone goes to the World Cup, or show real support to the regional events that are happening around the world and help grow them. Because otherwise we're going to be riding around some farmer's field in fucking the middle of nowhere, Belgium forever. And what, what is that going to do for our sport? Truly. Yeah. Fair point. And, um, you know, getting back to our earlier conversation about, sorry about the, uh, swear there. We'll beep it out. Um, <laughs> the earlier conversation about participant interest in the U S if, if they meet, Wout Van Aert in person, if they meet Marina Voss in person, yeah. and they see them race. Or Katie Compton, or Ellen Noble, or Katie Keogh. Of course. And, you know, the Americans, I feel, are a little more easy for, for Americans to access at, mm-hmm. at a lot of the UCI races. But regardless, to see that in person, and then to go on and, and watch the stream 
um, when World Cups are underway and that sort of thing. It'll encourage interest and mm-hmm. I think it keeps people, I think it keeps people engaged in cyclocross and excited to do it. Um, even well, if they're racing the same grass crit they did last year. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, that, that is that is something to consider. But, um, you know, for someone like Waufener, he really is bridging these these different tribes in a way that I think is really helpful and I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, you know, even when he goes more to the road and, excuse me, is, is spending less time on his cross bike, he's still going to be the guy that came to the U.S., just like Erwin Verbecken was one of the earlier Belgian riders to come to the U.S. Daniel right. Puntoni, the crazy Sup- little Super Italian. Cup, right? Super Cup? Uh, yeah. Back in... Well, Gloucester, actually. Yeah, Gloucester, right. Super Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Um, and it's, that's a really valuable thing to have. Um, and, you know, some of the American riders are are looking for that. They're looking for that that reason to to have cyclocross continue to grow and continue to be something that they want to do as a standalone discipline. But, you know, I think in general nowadays as an athlete, you need to be able to do different things and cross over to different disciplines. And we're just seeing that continue to expand. Yep. I agree. Okay. Last question. Yeah. What was the hardest scene for you to shoot in the nine ball diaries? You know, for those of you that don't know, <laughs> which is, i.e., everyone. No, this is a classic. Oh, God. Every, every cyclocross right, racer should watch the Nine Ball Diaries, Tim, Tim Johnson's documentary. I really think. 2007 season? If I'm, if I'm going to go uh, Siskel and Eber here, I believe that Nine Ball Diaries. Cinematography was excellent. And cinematography was great. But Nine Ball Diaries versus Das Pro in The Rookie. Mm. There's a real, there's, I, I believe that it's a pretty fair fight. Uh, but Nine Ball Diaries, the hardest scene to shoot in that, actually, that was one of the first, um, what do you call the, the camera on the dolly? Is that oh, yeah. Motion shot. Um, camera on the dolly. That's what <laughs> yeah. I call it. So Don Hampton, the, the director um, and also cameraman, came to, my, came to my house, and one of the shots that we did was in my backyard, he oh yeah doing the barriers he built he built a uh rails out of pvc pipe and put his camera on these wheels and and wheeled the camera alongside next to the barriers i had never seen that in any other cycling movie and i remember when that came out when when i finally saw that cut i was like oh my god that's awesome and then and then the shot out of the four-wheeler at nationals which is 2007 Kansas City yeah. totally shitty Ice conditions. Race. Yeah. There was a cart path next to the course on the other side of the tape and Bill Marshall got this like mule and put Don in the in the back of it and Don's got the camera and they do this tracking shot for like 15 seconds or 20 seconds alongside and I'm like I don't see them. I never saw them. When I saw that shot, I was so psyched. Like that was the <laughs> coolest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, of course, seeing a photo of yourself or a video of yourself is just, like, mind-blowing. But when yeah. I saw that... You I'm like that. Like, oh you like God. that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That's enough. Thanks, Tim. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on velonews.com. Subscribe 
to the Velo News Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velo News on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine, And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Velo News Podcast is produced by Velo News, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velo News Podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Pretty Classic Soul.